All right, I'm going to shut up. Alex, I'm going to let you take it away, man. Talk, Alex. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what's up, everybody? I thought it might be helpful for today to kind of give a little bit of an overarching view of what we see kind of at acquisition.com and the deals that are coming in and the companies that we're looking at. Just kind of like an overall economic view, because I might just provide context to some of the questions and some of the action items that you guys might be considering or decisions that are on the horizon. And then I will go through the questions that I got before the call, which I appreciate. And we may have some that come from the chat. So if there are questions that come up, toss them in the chat. If I have time, I will, I will go through through those as well. And if um, someone asks a stupid question, I will just not answer it. Sound good? Awesome. Big picture, I want to give a little bit of encouragement, which is right now we're a little bit in you know the beginning of, of a recessionary period. I do expect that it will deepen and get worse. But the good news for everyone here is kind of two things. Number one, we have the fortune of having already gone through COVID as a community. No matter what recession has, has happened in history, not being allowed to do business was the worst. <laughs> Anything above that, like I would so much rather have a 30% reduction in business than a 100% reduction in business. And yet still, two thirds of gyms or more than two thirds of gyms, 75% of gyms were able to stay open despite being not even allowed to be open, <laughs> right? Uh, which is, you know, we could answer that question another time. But I can tell you that at the leadership level, Kale and I have had many conversations about the fact that um, we always think economic horizon, what are we looking at 12, 24, 36? What do we see? What do we need to prepare for? Do we need to have bigger cash reserves, things like that? What are we thinking about expenses? What about reinvestment opportunities? For us, we feel pretty good because we went through COVID. Even through that period of time, despite a you know decrease in revenue, one of the beautiful things about service businesses, and this is something that everybody here can take to the bank, is that in a service business, you have a decent amount of variable expenses. If you have fewer clients, you can cut class times, right? You can cut trainers. I'm not saying it's fun, but I'm saying that if we're getting down to the bone, there is room, right? In other businesses, so a buddy of mine owns a manufacturing business that manufactures soil for marijuana facilities. He's like the most straight-laced guy in the world, but he's screwed. The price per ounce dropped by 80% because there was a huge supply demand flood that happened during COVID. Everyone was smoking all the weed. And so everybody ramped up production, which took them about two years to ramp up production. And then by the time that happened, COVID was over. And then the market got flooded with lots of weed. And so the price per ounce dropped like a rock, which some of you guys, I don't know if you buy cannabis, you might've seen that. But their cost to produce an ounce is right now higher than the retail cost. And so he's fucked. And so he lost about $22 million of investor capital and he's going to go out of business. I say that only to outline that like we are in a relatively flexible business, which is nice when you think about robustness of a business model. And so we have gone through COVID, we have been through harder times. And so what will probably happen is that many of the people who were artificially inflated during COVID, because I can tell you right now from the online perspective, online fitness businesses are suffering right now. They saw an artificial boom during COVID, they were inflated, they staffed up, and now many people have online capacity. So there's so far more supply than there was originally. The demand has dropped. And so a lot of those businesses are seriously hurt. So I can tell you that from an overarching perspective, we are well prepared or well equipped to go through a 30% or even 50% downturn. And if you look at every depressionary, you know, recessionary period in the United States history, pretty much the worst one ever was a 50% reduction with the exception of the Great Depression. Big picture, 50% down in terms of like the market. Now we've already seen a certain percentage of that kind of downgrade. So from here, maybe it's another, you know, 40%. When I say that it's 
if you multiply the percentages, because it's from absolute top, not like from here, it would have to be a larger percentage. Hopefully that makes sense math wise. But all that to say, I think we're going to be okay. The second thing that I said is kind of the silver lining is that you really only need to worry about it if you're a loser. And I want to add context to this, which is in recessionary periods, it's not that everyone goes down by 30% or everyone goes down by 40%. What happens is the bottom 30% goes down by 100%. Does that visual make sense? The people who were skinny dipping, who were above their pay grade in terms of how they were working, they were overselling, under delivering, not reinvesting in their team, not building a culture, not giving a fuck about their customers. Those, whatever the saying is something, the roosters come to roost or whatever it is, right? The hens come to roost. You have to pay the piper. These periods overall, big picture, are actually good for the economy, right? Because when you grow, like unconstrained growth is cancer. And so having a pruning period, which for anybody who follows any kind of gardening stuff, if you prune a tree, it grows healthier, stronger, taller, faster, because you have to cut off the appendages that are not additive to the overall system. And so oftentimes the low performers, rightfully so, don't deserve to be in business. And so if you want to make sure that you are well-equipped to get through the tough period, make sure you deserve to get through the tough period. One of the easiest things that I can like recommend is that right now, number one is going to be focus, which is if you have these side doodads that you are waiting to take off and you're like, I've got this other thing that I'm doing on the side, it's, it's going to be awesome. I would recommend you stop that because it, it bears the assumption that you split between two ways or three ways are better than somebody else 100% invested. And remember, we're just talking about the bottom 30. You just got to beat them. And so what's the easiest way to beat them? If I have a competitor, my favorite thing in the world is to hope they get distracted. I hope they split their attention because it makes it much easier to win because I, I don't have to beat them. I have to beat one third of them. Much easier. So just don't be that person. On the flip side, be the very ruthless competitor that you wouldn't want to compete against. The person who always shows up on time that does the boring work. <laughs> <laughs> that does the things that they know they should be doing and actually do them. And so one of the things, if you think about right now, if you were to make a list of all the things that you know you should be doing, but aren't, not even new shit. I'm just saying, what are the list of things that I know I should be doing, but I'm not? I probably should be emailing my list on a regular basis and doing a promotion once a quarter. I know I should be doing that, but I'm not. I know I should have semi-privates available, but I'm not. I know I should be following a diagnostic sales process, but I'm not. I know I should be selling supplements at the second visit, because it would immediately cover my rent, but I'm not. Because I'm lazy, because I'm distracted, because I don't want to win, because I, let's put the real one, it's not a priority. Because the same thing that you tell your clients where they're like, I don't have time <laughs> to cook my meals, I don't have time to go to the gym. Don't be those people. You make it a priority. And the people who don't make it a priority will lose, and rightfully so. So those are kind of my two silver linings here. One is we've been through COVID. So you've seen what 100% decrease looks like, and you got here. You're still here. You're still standing. So that should give you a lot of stress freeness. And the second part is you don't have to beat 100%. You just need to beat the bottom third. And if you're on this call, it's likely that you're not in the bottom third because you're already investing in getting the education you need to build a business that is, that is robust, that is anti-fragile. And then obviously we have some advantages, which is don't be stupid right now. Like this is not the time to buy more equipment. <laughs> This is not the time to level up your neighborhood. This is not the time to level up your ride, right? This is probably one of those times to cut back on the extra expenses. As a corollary, if you can't immediately tell anybody on the gym launch team why you quote reinvesting in something is going to make you money, you're not reinvesting. You're just spending without control. So like buying another billboard somewhere in your another bulletin board may look nice and feel cool. It's not going to make you more money. It will cost you money though. And the crazy thing is, is that comes straight from the bottom line. So like those dollars you have to account for three or four times. So think about that. If you run a 25% margin business and then you spend $1,000, it took you four grand to make that. So when you're thinking about your expenses, multiple 
multiply it by your margin and then think, do I really think that? And then if you really want to get funky, multiply it by the fact that that dollar is going to be worth $3 in three years based on how everything's going to be on sale. So now you're like 12, 12 times for every dollar, but maybe that might not be real for you. So pick whichever one works for you, but the end result is control yourselves. Like this is definitely one of those disciplined periods. Okay. Does that give a little bit of context overall in terms of the industry? Fantastic. I'm going to go through some of these questions. I'm going to read them out loud. And then um, if it was you, if you can just do this, and then I'll at least know who I'm talking to, it would be helpful. My business has grown in revenue by 10% in the last two consecutive months. How do I know if my business is in a solid state of growth? Keep doing that for a year. Two months is nothing. Two months is like you ran a promo. And transparently with a business that like businesses that are of this size, like when you're sub a million, businesses are incredibly volatile. So like I doubled my business last month and then it cut in half the next month. Like it's, <laughs> you didn't double your business. Look at it on an annualized basis. Like you had a good month or a good quarter. You haven't done it. You got to string them together. It's like somebody saying, Hey, I attended workouts four weeks in a row. Do I have a great body yet? No, you barely work out. Does that make sense? Okay. I love my gym, but I dislike my team. That's your fault. How can I improve my environment? That that, that your fault was uh, was my add-in. Just throwing that in there for comic relief. How can I improve my environment to improve the experience for our members? To improve the environment, you have to improve the team. Like, it's not like you're going to get decorations. You know what I mean? And so I think that a lot of that, there's the saying that I like a lot, which is the life you want to live is on the other side of a few hard conversations. And so a lot of times we have to confront some hard conversations with staff. And a lot of times that comes from doing two things. You reset expectations, you reset the bar, and then you have to hold them accountable to that bar, which means that if they do not go above the bar, they go out the door, which means having a recruiting function within the business in terms of like where you're going to get other talent is important. And I can tell you, especially in a small business environment, this flips later in business, but in a smaller business, you look for attitude and you can train aptitude. So find good, hardworking people that are enthusiastic, and then you can teach them to train. And what is realistic, which most of you, most of you guys probably have encountered, when you find like exceptional trainers, they're kind of a pain in the ass a lot of times because they want to do things their way, right? They don't want to do things your way. And they're constantly bucking your authority and they want to challenge you on fucking macros. And you're like, they went from McFlurries to chicken. I'm calling it a win. Well, chicken could increase cancer risk if it's not organic. Shut the fuck up. All right. Like we're like small victories here. Like if we can get somebody to walk a mile a day for the rest of their lives, we extend their life by 10 years. Let's look at the big picture. I say that for that individual who dislikes their team, you have to raise the bar. You have to have conversations with them about the new bar. And then if they do not meet that bar with clear expectations, you need to let them out, which means that you might have to work double time for a short period to find the right people. And I can tell you that the longer I've been in business, the higher the bar is to be on the team. And that has just been a one, a unidirectional path for me. People that we surround ourselves with simply get better. Number three, has there been, has there ever been a point where you felt like you couldn't help someone? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, you can't help someone who doesn't want to help themselves. Like you can't, you can't want it more for them than they want it for themselves. Now we can try and influence and persuade them and break their beliefs, which is absolutely our prerogative in our job, right? But if you've tried everything in, in, in your armory, you know, to try and get someone to do something at some point, they have to take personal responsibility. And so you want to take a hundred and they need to take a hundred. Does that make sense? And if it's a weight loss thing, they're lying to you. That's all. Let's take it to the extreme as a side note for the, the weight loss stuff, because I still remember that I used to get these questions. If someone doesn't eat for a year, they lose weight. If someone doesn't eat for long enough, they die. So they don't have a special metabolism. They require food and sustenance to live. So if they are not losing weight, they're eating too much. And we are measuring on a too small of a time horizon because of water fluctuations. That's the bottom line on the weight loss stuff. Okay. My spouse sucks at helping me in business. <laughs> also your fault. I'm kidding. Um, he always comments on the time I spend working and he says, 
his job with fulfillment doesn't take as long. What can I do to help him understand? That's weird. That's a weird one. I don't know who that is. Maybe you're not trying to call your husband out because you may be both be on here together. So I'll make this a generic answer. Value isn't measured by time. So like Layla objectively works more than I do. Like she spends more hours doing stuff. That being said, the nature of our work is different. Like I spend a lot more time making things and she spends a lot more time communicating to teams. And so I think first off, we have to define what work is, number one. And so you may both be working, but working in different ways. And if you're like, no, for real, like he spends half his day watching Netflix and it's like, okay, well then we need to talk about priorities. But this is more of a marriage thing than I think a business thing. Because let's play this out all the way. You both do everything in gym launch. You find a manager who can run the location and you guys are out of the location. And you guys both aren't working. And you have an asset that makes you money. What's the problem? The problem is if you're not making money and the person isn't working. So then it's a priorities thing. So I think you just have to figure out like, what problem are we solving? Is it, is the problem that they're not working or is the problem that we're not making enough money? <laughs> if it's equal load of work, like that's, that's silly. Like there's seasons of work that go back and forth and that's going to happen. And if the eventual goal is that you can own an asset that makes you money, then that's where you're both trying to go to eventually. I, in general, tend to get out of day-to-day -day before Layla does. We've done that in every single business. And so it's not bad, it just is. It's only an issue if you're not making money because then you're incurring overhead that you can't afford. So I think I just get clear on the priorities of the business of like, can we can we agree that we won't, we will choose not to lose money and we will choose to work more first. If you have that agreement, then it's adhering to that agreement. And if they're like, they're not holding up their end of the bargain, that is tough. If you had to estimate what was your closing percentage <laughs> with the six-week challenge? I can tell you my last my last ever campaign, because I tracked everything stooped to nuts, was 82%. I don't know why it would matter, though, because we're different people. You know what I mean? If you're like, I want to feel good about myself, or I want to feel bad about myself, it just doesn't matter. What makes a six-free challenge is a $100 million offer versus non-free. Free versus non-free is kind of, is irrelevant as far as the value that you're providing someone. The free offer structure from every single test we have run, and believe me, we have run tests for a fucking decade. I ran it with my gyms. I ran it with the 30 plus gyms that we did turnarounds on and we ran tests over and over again because let me tell you a secret. We would rather not expend the energy overcoming people's limiting beliefs all fucking day. It would be much easier for us if they were even or equivalent in the amount of net money that a gym would make. We will make the recommendation that will make the gyms the most money because we are vested in people making money so that they can pay us. And so when we looked at it dollars to dollars, the cost per lead, and this is, Kale, you can bet because I don't have up-to-date stats, but every time I we ran this test, it's still, cost true. Per it's, it's still true. It's still true. was a third free versus non-free. And close rate, guess what, was the same between free and non-free. So all we're doing is paying three times the cost to acquire. That's it. If you want to pay three times the cost to acquire, by all means do so. But do not complain about it. You cannot have the best of both worlds. That being said, when I sold the six-week challenge, I never had issues with anyone getting upset. And so if you have issues with people getting upset, it's because you are not convicted. It has nothing to do with the promotion. All you have to do, I promise you, is let 20 people start for free with no money down. And you'll become convicted very quickly that they need to put skin in the game. Best way we know how. It's like, I want to make it free. I want you to win. We have a very high percentage of people who win. And this is the best way I can think of to give you a great deal and give you some incentive to get the results. Because here's another crazy one. If you measure the results on the back end of the six-week challenge, the people who put the money down versus the people who had money at stake, the people who had money at stake lost more weight. So you're telling me that we get a three times 
the customers for the same dollars of ad spend and we get better results for the people who come in and that is the thing i don't want to do okay that's fine just don't complain about it. did i miss anything kale no that was perfect okay um if one of our team is on this can we clip this and then post <laughs> it and pin this post say. in the facebook <laughs> group and then can we also clip this and put this in the portal um when we do this so i'm not kidding so someone um, on our team make sure we clip this and make sure that it runs on repeat and so if anyone ever says that we'll just send this to you and you can just watch it so and as a corollary for the question that wasn't answered but probably will come up as a comment on that video to be compliant you need to be transparent in the advertising which we absolutely suggest you do be compliant i can't make you be compliant but i can tell you to be compliant strongly advise strongly recommend put the disclaimer in the ad copy put the disclaimer on the pages make sure it's clear make sure it's equally weighted in terms of size just like the templates we already have to you do that you're a compliant advertiser and by the way when i talk to a legal firm about this the thing that believe it or not makes it even more compliant is if you have a money back guarantee so that actually even makes it more compliant than the whole getting your money back if you lose the weight. If people can ask for their money back at any point from satisfaction, that makes it effectively free from a marketing perspective. It's actually freer than the stake version, just in case you guys are curious. I did, by the way, if you're not offering a money back guarantee just on satisfaction, I recommend you do that. If you are good at what you do, I, in five years of selling it, gave two back. And I can tell you that I remember the two people because I spent an hour and 20 minutes trying to close them because I had nothing else to do. And I just arm wrestled them and wouldn't let them leave. And I probably should have just let them leave. Okay, what separates those who crush from those who don't as business owners? Focus, seriously, it's focus. It's just focus. It's can you do this stuff every day repeatedly? You can answer that question because you already know the answer. What separates the people who get crazy results during a transformation from the people who don't? It's not anything sexy. They follow the meal plan. They show up to the workouts. They add progressive overload. They show up on time to their meetings. They interact with their coaches, service with a smile. They sell with conviction. They follow up with their leads regularly, quickly, and often. They run a play every 12 weeks, and they don't stop doing that when they make a little bit more money. And so th this is this is what I can, I can promise you. If you can shift your goal from the amount of money you make to the type of person you want to be, you won't be satisfied with making 20 grand a month take home because what I see happen over and over again is people get to 20 grand a month and that was their income goal and then they let off the gas which means that they aren't winners and so make the goal being a winner because if you made 20 grand a month you're fucking supposed to it's supposed to work it's like the person who loses weight and then says you know what I'm gonna cheat a little bit because I'm doing so well which is a complete fallacy it makes no sense logically I'm doing so well so I'm gonna change stuff continue on keep doing okay Question six. Actually, this is question uh, eight. What kind of internal work have you done to break limiting beliefs about yourself slash worth through stages of your journey, gym launch to GL owner to acquisition.com? I think what shifted is just what the goal was. Like if you think about like what you're optimizing towards, you change in reaction to your goal. And so if you want to change you, change the goal you're optimizing for. And so I think one of the easiest ways to think through this is most of us wake up every day with a question we're trying to answer. So it's like, how do I get more leads? How do I sell more memberships? So the question is for you guys, figuring out what that question is for you. And if you change that question, you will change your life. Because I can tell you for me for a long time, I would say the last four years, it's been how do I increase my net worth? Every day I woke up and I was like, how do I, is this, and every every decision I made was, is this gonna increase my net worth more than something else? And I'm, I'm feeling that, that, that question shift right now internally for me. And you guys have probably seen it a little bit more in terms of my public facing brand and all that stuff. And it's been because the question has shifted. It stopped being about net worth and being about goodwill. And so the, the decision lens that I use now is like, will this build goodwill? And so you can tell, like, if I wanted to extract value from my much larger audience now, I could do that. I choose not to because I don't think it's going to build goodwill. Does that make sense? So if you if you pick a different outcome, you will change in reaction to that goal. In terms of limiting beliefs, 
it's getting in communities like this and seeing people who are not as good as you do better than you. And then realizing that you can do it too. And the only reason you're not doing it is because you're not doing the stuff you know you should be doing. All right, Matt Morse is on this thing. I'm trying to read this thing. Here we go. Do you ever get excited when you get big wins on your bank account grows or do you see it as a logical outcome? I, I feel nothing when I have outcomes, seriously. I mean, the day that we got the wire from selling 66%, I felt truly nothing. I get more excited when I see the first dollar come in. <laughs> you know, just, I think seeing something work so I'll put it this way. How many of you guys got more excited seeing your first leads flow from ads? That was an exciting moment, right? It's usually the leading indicators, not the outcomes. And so if you can also put that into your own like actions of like, what are the leading indicators that, that have to be present for the outcome to occur? If you get more excited about that, you'll make more money. But the difference between winners and losers, by the way, if you guys are curious, they did a big poll of Olympic champions, is that winners don't love winning. They hate losing. They feel relieved when they win. They don't feel happy. They're like, thank God I didn't lose. They expect to win, which is why it doesn't, which is why it's not an emotional high. At what point is the lady in the red dress, not the lady in the red dress and the next logical step for a business to grow? It's one of the hardest calls in business. Like there's, there's a few hard decisions in business, like when to pivot versus when to push through is one. Another one is how much to invest versus how much to pull out, because that's a question of risk tolerance. So there is no, like that one's much more a dichotomy to be managed than a problem to be solved. But most times the best businesses are simple. And so if we're talking about the lady in the red dress as like another opportunity you want to pursue, usually it's just a lady in the red dress, right? Kale and I talk about this all the time. <laughs> it is the hardest question to answer in entrepreneurship. And that's where I think seeking guidance from other people who've been ahead of you, who have walked those steps is valuable because they may be like, oh yeah, I remember that lady in the red dress at your, at your level. That was a lady in the red dress. Don't pursue that. But if you're like, okay, at what point do I want to pursue franchising? It's like, well, do you have a few million dollars? Do you have 250 grand to put aside just to put forth for the franchise? Do you understand how franchise economics work? I'll tell you. They're not that good. There's two companies that we're looking at acquiring right now that uh, are franchises and the unit economics make more sense for them to just own the damn things. And I was like, why'd you do that? And they're like, I thought it was you know the smart thing to do. Everyone always thinks I should make a franchise, but why would you want to just make 6% of top line? It's a lot of work. You got to sell a lot of units and you got to understand an entirely new business model and the litigiousness you know, that, that, that goes around that. I, I was just using that as an, as an example. If it's like, I want to add meal prep to my gym, I would recommend not doing it. Keep the business simple. If you're having trouble, so like, think about this. You have my blessing to do the woman in the red dress if you have done every one of your should do's. Like go pursue the other opportunity if you have already done every single checkbox for making your original business the way it should be. Because oftentimes we look at the woman in the red dress because we think it's going to be less painful. Anyone, everyone heard the stages of grief? You know, there's five stages of grief. Well, there's also one, and I don't know what the actual stage is, like the title of it, but the five stages of shiny object. The first stage is uninformed optimism. It means that you don't know what you're talking about and the grass is greener. It looks greener. You're uninformed and it looks good. You don't know enough to know that there's bodies there too and it's full of shit. But you don't know that yet. Uninformed optimism. So then you dive in and then you get on the other side and you realize it smells like shit. And you're like, wow, informed pessimism. Now you know, and you're not as optimistic as you were before, but you continue to trudge on. And you're like, well, I did this thing. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to keep moving. Okay. Stage three, valley of despair. This is where everyone quits. This is where everyone looks for another shiny object and then jumps to that next shiny object. And most people can't get past step three. They continue to do one, two, three over and over and over again. And you will continue to do that through your entire entrepreneurial career until you learn the fucking lesson. Because then you get to step four, which is informed optimism, which is that you understand the shit, but you understand that if you seed it the right way and in the right temperature, it actually grows a ton of grass. And then step five is you achieve the goal. And then you reset the, you reset the benchmark. But most people continue to exit at step three and go back to find another shiny object. And they do that for decades. Okay. With gym launch structures and coaches, I know what to do to grow, but I think I haven't believed that I deserve the success. 
what's your advice? So it's not that you, you don't believe that you um, deserve the success. It's actually fear of losing something. So it's more that you fear losing relationships that you currently have as a result of the success. So you're not afraid of success. You're afraid of losing something. And so figure out what it is that you're afraid of losing and then clearly state it as Am I willing to give up on my dreams for this person? And then you make the decision. Maybe you are. Maybe you don't want to, you do want to give up on your dreams for somebody else, but at least you know the decision because success doesn't give a fuck. You're not afraid of success. You're afraid of what you're going to lose or what you think you're going to lose. I'm able to max out my two gym locations and I don't want to open any more locations. Cool. I want to continue to grow my business. What do you see as the best option? More online coaching? Um, it's a tough call. It's a tough call. Um, so the thing is like online business is a totally different business. You know what I mean? Either you're like the online opportunity is the one that I want to pursue. And over time that, because it has limitless scale, right? It can, you know, it can dwarf your gyms quickly if you do it right. On the flip side, if you really have the two locations maxed out, if you really have, and this is me probably guessing, Kale's uh, <laughs> like, don't clip this part. If you really have the two, meaning that you do absolutely nothing, comma, and they continue to grow and they did continue to grow for six straight months. That's my definition of, of truly outsourcing. Like you don't attend to anything, no calls, no check-ins, nothing. You don't walk into the facility for six months and it grows for six months. In my mind, you have that. So at that point, it makes sense to have, then it becomes a compounding vehicle for return on capital, which is how much does it cost me to open a facility? How much do I get back? And then you continue to play that game. But it's hard because I will tell you this, operating two, most people lie to themselves and say, well, I'm not really spending that much time, but they they like, they don't work 12 hours a day. Anyone else not work 12 hours a day? And so like, well, I, I don't like, just because you don't teach sessions doesn't mean you don't work. It just means you don't teach sessions. You're still CEO. You make decisions all the time, right? You're thinking about how to grow the business. You might be doing the marketing or running the lead gen or whatever it is, right? You're still doing things. But if you have truly, and this is, and the only way that I see this working is you have a manager who's incentivized off profit and loss. You have a manager who has between five and 20%, 25% sometimes of the profits of the facility, and they run it like an owner. It's really the only ways that I've seen this scale in a micro gym setting. Because the amount of guys that I know that scaled to five and that, like the big, the big stopping points are two, three, five, ten. I've just like I've just seen this over. It's a two, three, five, ten, because it's just different levels of of operational know-how. And so you need them to be decentralized rather than centralized in order for them to scale efficiently. They have to be able to be independently operated units that work well on their own and can grow without you. Which direction do you go? If you're really good at online, you can do that, but understand that you are now splitting your attention. On the flip side, if you have two really good facilities and you've got it, you know, dial, dialed, I mean, it's a great business for compounding capital. It's just most people don't have the skill set. All right. What are the biggest mental obstacles I see in small business owners that holds them back from moving to the next level? I'll say it again. It's just focus and doing the consistent stuff. Like we get 600 companies a month over a million dollars that apply to work at acquisition.com. It's obvious why the small businesses are small. It's because of the founders. They're erratic, they're emotional, they're unfocused, they're undisciplined. You can talk to a, I can talk to a founder and know how much money they make just by how they carry themselves. And that's why it's like, there's the skills, there's the traits and there's the beliefs. Many times it's traits, which is much harder to fix. It's who they are. And if you're like, how do I become more insert character trait you want? You do the things that somebody who has that trait does. So like you can feel impatient, but if you act with patience over time, you develop the trait because you have evidence to support that you are patient. And it's not like a binary of I am patient, I'm not patient. It's how patient are you? And if you were more impatient in your past, you can start changing that today. And if you were more undisciplined in your past, the same way you would tell a person who's trying to lose weight, well, I haven't been able to stick to weight loss before. Cool. You can change your life in a moment with a decision. And you take the decisions, you make the actions that somebody who has that trait does. And you do that for a long enough period of time that you start to believe it. But it's focus and discipline and having a long-term perspective. The biggest issue is most people are in a rush. 
everybody's in a rush, which is why they keep trying to make a million dollars in 90 days. And they spend 10 years trying to make a million dollars in 90 days. And they can't see a year. They can't see if I had 10 EFTs net every month in 18 months, this thing's going to be a fucking cash machine. They can't think that far. They can't do it. And so if you can extend your time horizon, it makes it a lot easier to win. Okay. This will be a clippy. What do you say to someone who says the leads are poor, broke, or not a good fit? We sold in the North, the South, the East, the West, in poor markets and rich markets, in Asian, Black, Native American, Hispanic, white markets. Until the day that men deem women and women deem women more attractive for being overweight, we will have a business. And as long as cake and chocolate still taste good, we will have something that creates the problem. And so we have one of these beautiful businesses that is based in evolution for a while, at least, right? <laughs> Until cultural changes, like we go back to the 1920s, who knows, right? But for a while, weight loss is still going to be it. If the leads are broke, then it should just give you more motivation. I love to be an equal opportunity salesman, which is it gives you the opportunity to get even better at sales because it doesn't serve you to say they're poor. It doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help them. It doesn't help you. On the flip side, how much do you think it will change their lives if they learn a single trait of discipline? They control one part of their lives. They learn how to work out. They get around in a community of people who are encouraging and positive. Like how much better will their life be? It's not about weight loss at that point. If someone, if someone's poor, they need it more than anyone. Like one of my pride and joys is that I sold a homeless guy. I let he got him to empty his pockets. Cause like, how long you want to be homeless, dude? I was like, if you look like this, you're never going to get a job. Now he never came back, but I got the money in his pockets for a moment. He was motivated. Right. And so I say that, I say that half jokingly, but like the big point here is if you, a sale is always made. Either you buy their excuse or they buy your conviction. That's it. Like if you really believe, and this is the thing, most people don't believe, really believe. Because it's not, do you believe, do you not believe in your product or service? It's how much do you believe? Have you ever talked to somebody who's like a hardcore person of any religion or any any ideology, like hardcore, like drank the Kool-Aid and ever talk to them long enough, then you start wondering, you're like, maybe they're right. It's because it's not whether someone believes, it's how much do they believe. How deeply do you believe in what you sell? If you fix that, you can change everything because you also sell from the right frame, which is that you really want to help this person and you're not going to give up on them when they're giving up on themselves. And if you believe that, then no one's too broke because like the real real is if they can afford a phone and they can afford a car, if they're trying to lose weight, worst case scenario, they don't eat. Win-win. I remember I had this lady who came, she was doing Dave Ramsey thing. She was like, I've got this envelope that has my groceries. That's where I would have to take this from. And I was like, well, either you figure out a way to make more money and you're fine. I was like, or you can't afford groceries and you lose weight. I was like, either way, we accomplish your objective, right? What's the worst case? Like, what's the worst case scenario? You're going to lose your house? No, not going to be able to use much. Okay, well, that was what we're trying to accomplish anyways. Now we force you to accomplish it. Obviously, a little bit of rapport is helpful there. Okay, what did you spend your million dollars on? I'm going to skip this one because I didn't. I put it all in treasuries, if you guys are curious. So side note, because this is probably an inevitable follow-up question to that. What do you do with your cash if you've got cash right now? So if you've got cash right now, my recommendation is to first and foremost, always spend it on your ability to make more money, buy a fucking mile. Basically, if you have less than $250,000, spend it on you. Like you're a business owner. You have an ability to generate more income with your skills. Spend it on you. If you have more than $250,000, either... You can think about opening a new location in the future. I wouldn't do that right now. Let's wait till the recession kind of plays out a little bit more. And in the meantime, my opinion is we saw the FTX crash. I think there'll be more of those things. I've taken my cash out of banks and I've put it into treasuries. Treasuries pay four or 5%. They're safer than banks and they pay better. That's what I did. And I'm just waiting. As Charlie Munger says, the money isn't made in the buy or the sell. It's made in the wait. Okay. We have been this for four years and have been successful. I am pooling my salary to cover my bills, additional 20,000 out. Should I invest my funds in index? Well, I think I answered that one. 
what does a day in your life look like? I know that you, so I just don't think we're at the bottom yet. It's up to you. You can start dollar cost average. If you're like making 20,000 money, making it for a while, you can dollar cost average into an index. I think everything's down now. I'm not yet because I got this from Steven Schwartzman, who's the founder of BlackRock. He said, don't try and time the bottom. Wait for 15% recovery. So wait for it to do this. Like, accept that you're not going to hit the bottom. Be more willing to take a 15%, not as much money as I could have made versus thinking it's the bottom and then losing another 40. So there's my record. What does a day in the life look like? I work for the first half of the day on stuff that I need to work on that's typically like work work as in like making things, which is either videos, content, writing the book, etc. Second half of the day is meetings. I've been doing that for a long time. So my day until one o'clock or noon, I don't have any meetings. This was early for me, but I love you guys. So we're good. Um, but yeah, that's I, I'm, I'm a big believer in just chunking work, just chunk the work. Because you're significantly more inefficient when you switch tasks. So the idea is how do you switch tasks as few times as possible? That maximizes your output per unit of time. Okay, why don't go home for the holidays? In that video, you said, maybe I look back one day and my perspective on this will have changed. Has it changed now? No, it has not. As two very successful people, what do you and Layla do to ensure you're growing together on the same page? We're in business together. And so we have the, have the benefit of being exposed to the same stimuli. And so we react in the same ways. And we also kind of cater one another's reaction. Or rather, we tailor and help guide the other person's reaction to a stimulus. It's like, what do you take this as? She says her thing, I take my thing. What lesson are we going to take from this? We take the same lesson. Um, so I think for us, at the end of every day, we do a debrief. So we walk for an hour and she tells me about all her meetings. I tell her about all my meetings and we talk about the next day. And we do that. We've been doing that. That's how that's how we debrief because we're not on the same meetings. Okay. We're, we're actually only two, only two left. Between your Ed, Ed Milet, Tom Billy, Lewis House, which one do you feel that you grew the most from. I love those guys, but I didn't feel like I grew from the podcast. Like they're great guys. I'm they awesome. they interviewed you. It wasn't the other way around. So that's what was that? They interviewed you, not the yeah. other way around. That's why like that's kind I of was talking most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Are you aware of any business similar to Gym Launcher for physical therapists? There are some. Yeah, there's some out there. For sure. That was it. That was my last question. So <laughs> there's there's a, a question about branding that I think would be great for you. Oh, cool. Um, I really actually like you because you're a lot of the stuff that you've been talking about, obviously, is brand and branding and goodwill and doing all that stuff. Pablo asked branding question, if you were advising a big box or micro gym on branding, what's your advice and why? I'm trying to write a book on branding, like in the future books, because I don't think I understand it well enough. I know how important it is anecdotally, but I'm having trouble putting words to it, which is why I want to write a book about it so I can understand it better. But basically, if you think about brand, this is kind of the best analogy that I'm, that I'm kind of working with, which is a brand doesn't exist. A brand's like a bouquet of flowers. Like a bouquet of flowers doesn't exist. It's just lots of flowers put together. And so if you had a single wilted flower in a bouquet, it would dramatically affect the way the bouquet looked, right? There's just like a rotten rose sitting there. And so that's why for the most part, the brand is kind of the verbal amalgamation of disparate things. And so it's basically adding six associations together to make one verbal understanding. You build brand by getting people to associate your brand with a thing they like. So like, what do people like? And so that's why having a good product and a good service experience will build your brand, right? Word of mouth will build your brand more than just about anything. Now, from a content perspective, it, it comes down to providing value to an audience. And if you think about the big brands though, that exist from a business perspective that are not personal brands, because if you're doing you can kind of separate this out because you've got the personal brand side and then you've got like a business brand side. The business brand side by a large margin is going to be dictated by the product. And so think about it this way. 
brand is promise minus product equals brand. So if you promise really big, right? Or I, I might have flipped it, but basically, if you promise small and you've got a big product, so product minus promise, there I flipped it. Product minus promise. So really amazing product, really small promise. Subtract it, you've got a lot left over. That's goodwill. That's brand building. The flip side is really shitty product minus really big promise is really bad brand. You're negative now, right? And so the idea is you want to promise so you get people to buy but you still want to underpromise and still overdeliver. And that's why I think over time my views on sales have shifted from just promising whatever you can to get someone to buy, right? To thinking like I really want to set clear expectations so that I can exceed them because I know that that's the long play. And so if you really want to think about wealth, which is not the direction I thought I was going to go in here, but I think it's going to be valuable. There's only two things you can do to have a compounding wealth machine from a business perspective. You either sell shit people don't stop buying or you get people to sell for you that never stop selling. Think about it this way. Three years from now, if all the people you signed up this year are not paying you still, you don't have a compounding machine. You have to keep hunting every single month. It's very tiring and you don't get credit for the work you did a few years ago. Contrast that with something like someone who's in wealth management. As soon as they get someone's funds and they invest them, people stay for like 20 years. They get paid for work they did five years ago. And so if we're in a business that is more transactional, then finding people to always sell for you, that's where affiliates and things like that come in, it's like, if you know, for example, that you can make deals with local businesses that will send you leads on a regular basis. And as soon as you turn that node on, they will consistently supply you with five customers a month. That means you did a deal with a business and two years later, they're still sending you five customers a month. Now, you don't have customers that stay forever, but you have an affiliate that does. And so two ways to have something that compounds. People never stop buying or you have people that never stop selling for you. If you have neither, that is what you need to fix. That's why, the, like I'm telling you right now, the guys who do semis, the guys who get their churn below 3% make significantly more money profit-wise than everybody else. If you can focus on solving that problem, the making money part is significantly easier because you stop having to reinvent the wheel every month and pull another rabbit out of your ass because you get credit for shit you did six months ago. I got another one for you. If you still had a gym, uh, would you prefer less staff uh, who are killers who divide the task or more people divided uh, to the different roles? I would have the absolute simplest model possible. I would probably run, and again, this is me, so I have a different skill set. I would probably be running all high-ticket semi-private. One manager incentivized off profit share, one guy in the morning, one guy in the afternoon part-time. 100 members, 500 grand a year. 50% margins, 1,500 square feet, three, 4,000 a month in rent tops in a nice retail spot. What skills would you invest in as someone um, going from 30K, 30K months to seven figures would it be marketing, sales, or copy, et cetera? It's usually just do it. So think about, if you think about scaling, it's more better now. So do more of what you're currently doing and do it better. If you're currently spending $100 a day, spend $200 a day. If you're currently working your leads and you know calling them in the first day, call them in the first five minutes. It's just more better. And doing it consistently. Like the difference between a six-figure and a seven-figure business is consistency. Like that's literally it. It's just not, you just don't stop repeating the successful actions. How do you hire and find talent to scale your business uh, or train people when you're trying to find people who are more than uh, who are more than you or have skill sets that you don't everybody here is in a unique spot where in a small business setting you usually are the most skilled person most of the time the only really high skilled person that you would bring into the business that you wouldn't train yourself which is what i was saying earlier about just finding attitude it would be like a manager which either you can take from within or you can find someone who managed a club or a gym before give them percentage of the profit make sure they feel like they're an owner have investor after a year you know what I mean? Or don't even have any equity involved and just give them a profit share. As a gym owner, how important is it to build your personal brand? Uh, at what point does it make sense to focus on growing? I know you just kind of hit on that, but this is somebody who has an online, who has an online yeah. 
I think if you have an online business, building the personal brand makes sense. If you have a brick and mortar gym, it's more about the product. Like the product is the brand. Like what people, like what you say about you matters for your self-esteem. What other people say about you matters for your money. Where should I focus most of my time on as a 25-year-old gym owner, more so back office stuff, culture, or something else? You have to identify the constraint. So like, what's the constraint of the business? Is it we don't, we're not getting enough leads? Is it that our turn's too high? Is it... We don't know how to close. Like if you identify the constraint of the business, everyone should know the pie, the, the, the hypothetical gym max, the pie equation. If you guys don't know it, fucking memorize it. But you can you can know what you're on track for. So if you know your, let's say 150 bucks a month is your is your is your your EFT nut, you got 10% churn, you have a 1500 LTV. Okay, cool. If you sell 10 people a month, you will cap at 15K. So either we have to make them worth more or we have to sell more units. That's it. If you're looking at the two sides and you're like, well, I'm selling 10 a month and I'm getting 20 leads. And it's like, well, we probably need to get more leads. If you're getting 500 leads and you're selling 10, then it's like, I should probably be more efficient with the leads I'm getting. If the flip side is you're, you have a thousand LTV and you haven't done any of the semi-private stuff, you haven't done the five horsemen or attention, then it's like fix that shit first. And if you can go from 1K to 3K, you triple your business changing nothing. And by the way, if you change the LTV, that's where all the profit is. So if the goal is to make profit, not revenue, if you want to feed your bank account, not your ego, focus on the back end. Last one. How do you take premium service to luxury? Is it price-based or is it based for status? The fundamental thing that separates luxury from premium, so for context here, everybody, premium is like an above average service, like Lexus is premium, a Ferrari is luxury. Luxury goods increase in demand as you increase the price. But the key part of making something a luxury good is that it confers status to the buyer as a function of its price. So if you just charge a lot of money, that doesn't necessarily make you a luxury. There has to be status associated with your brand. That's why branding is so important. Equinox can get away with charging what they charge because if people say, I have an Equinox trainer, people know that it's expensive. And that to be fair, that's if people are bragging about that. Is the how much you spend on fitness something you brag about to anyone? Probably not. So I wouldn't try and think of this as like, how do I go to luxury? I'd be like, how do I make my thing so good that I get all the rich people to refer their rich friends? Because then they get status through the referral. Like you look great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. this guy's awesome. He's so good. Or she's so good. And then they get status because they help their friend out because you're actually good. I have 60 seconds. All right, we got one last question. Let's slide, <laughs> Let's slide it in. Uh, with, the with that model that he would run, you're assuming that the sales manager would sell. I mean, I'm sorry, the manager sells and handles all acquisitions. Two coaches handle all fulfillment and retention. That guy would do sessions too, but middle of the day would be sales appointments. The key there is that you want to sell over the phone. You have to sell over the phone to make the model work. Alex, I just want to say thank you. I know you're. this is typically your writing, editing, like deep thought time. So I appreciate you you coming out of that early for us and breaking breaking your streak right now. I really appreciate it. I know obviously they're dropping in the chat. Everyone say thank you. We got a bunch of clips from this, by the way. I really appreciate you uh, again, reiterating all the stuff that we talk about. I appreciate you guys. I promise that it is going to get worse if you don't stay disciplined. So stay disciplined. Don't splurge on stuff. Do your big list of should do's. Don't get distracted on things you know you shouldn't do. In your gut, you know you shouldn't do a bunch of stuff and do it anyway. Stop doing that, right? Look at the constraint of the business, over-deliver on the customers, and you'll be fine. Also, follow up with that, Alex, real quick. Fill in your stats and give them to your coach so they can actually help you. Yeah, if you don't quantify shit, it's hard to know what the problem is. Admit you have a problem. Only way to admit you're a problem is have fucking numbers. <laughs> if you don't know them, your coach will help you find them. But like, if you don't have your numbers, we can't help you. So do it. Appreciate you guys. Thanks, Thank Alex. You, Appreciate you.